Hello, my name is Rachel Hersher. Um, toot toot. Um, I am on staff here with JMU Kaiafa, and it is a joy. Um, I have really enjoyed the past two weeks. Um, and for those of you who were not here, we just finished a series called XAXO that was all about love, sex, and dating. <laughs> I'm laughing because I always want to say, so Josh Moran, he was like, it's all about LSD, love, sex, and dating. I like keep saying the wrong acronym and saying STD. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, that does not match up. So um, love, sex, and dating. I loved it because uh, I just got married in November. And like some of the things that he was saying, I was like, wow, this would have been good to know like five years ago. Um, a little story about when Josh and I like liked each other and we're like kind of like skirting around things. Um, I was like, I came to a point where I was like, I don't think he likes me, I'm done, I'm gonna avoid him. And then he came over to do laundry. That should have been like a, a telltale sign that he liked me because what guy comes to a girl's house and like folds his boxers in front of you but um that didn't happen but i'm exaggerating to make the story better so i was like i'm gonna go on a run so i don't have to be in the same room with him and then i was like do you want to come like not think he said he hated running so i thought he was going to say no he said yes i was like oh geez and so we're running and then like we sprint towards the end, I'm gassed, and like we sit down and he's like, this is a good spot. Man, I was hoping someone in the front row would have been sitting there so I could have sat down. I'm like, ah, no, it's okay. I, um, I'm glad, full front row. But he's like, this is a good spot. And then he's like, so uh, do you wanna talk about how I think you like me and how I like you? And that was the beginning of our history. Um, some good history, so. It was smooth. I don't really recommend coming out, like, saying it that way, like, hey, I think you like me. It's pretty ballsy, but it worked. Here we are. We're married. Um, and uh, also, I think something that's really powerful that Josh said last week is that love is a choice. I don't know where this idea of, like, oh, we fall in love came from, because, like, love is not a whole. You don't, like, just fall into love, you know what I'm saying? But, like, love's a choice, and so I choose you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so as we wrap up that series, we are entering into a new series called Holy Spirit's Acts. Um, it is super exciting. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to transform us, to transform the lives around us, and to transform the world. Come on. And so a little bit about our series. As you can see, there are different symbols along the bottom. So every week, we're going to go through a different symbol of how the Holy Spirit operates in our life. Um, and so tonight, we're going to talk about how he influence, influences us to influence the world, that we can uh, be a global effect. So I'm excited to see how we're going to grow in Jesus this semester. You guys excited? Yeah, that was weak, but I believe you. All right. So before we get into the sermon, here's a little bit of context. So the book of Acts was written in about 70 AD. Now, I think that's a really important fact 
because Jesus um, ascended, he went back to heaven in around 30 AD. So the book of Acts was actually written within like 30 to 40 years after Jesus ascended, which is really recent. And a lot of other um, books that have been found, it it has accounts hundreds of years after that were written, but the fact that it was so closely written to when Jesus died on the cross um, increases its um, like viability, like that it is true and that things aren't made up. Praise God. The word of God is living and active and it is true. Come on. Um, the man who wrote it was a man named Luke. Um, Luke also wrote the book of Luke. I bet you guys didn't see that one coming. Um, yeah. Um, but Luke was a companion of Paul. He was a Gentile, which means he wasn't of Jewish descent, and he was a doctor. So he goes into things very specifically and logically, which is super cool and super good. So in order to, uh, to understand what happens in the book of Acts, we first need to understand what Jesus did and who Jesus is. So here's the testimony of Jesus in a nutshell. So Jesus is the son of God. He wrapped himself in flesh, came to earth, was born as a baby, um, and he lived as we all do. Uh, he pooped. He had to learn how to speak. He had to learn how to walk. He had to, to go to, um, his, like, to school with all the other young boys. Um, Jesus did life like we did. Literally, the Son of God, God himself, came down, had to learn how to talk. That's some humility right there. Um, and we don't know much about the first 30 years about his life other than he was a carpenter and he was tempted in every way but did not sin um, he started his earthly ministry when he was about 30 years old and then he and then he ministered for about three years and during those three years he picked up the 12 disciples he cast out demons he healed the sick he resurrected the dead and he brought hope and freedom to those around him all the while knowing that every day that passed by was one day closer to the day that he would die on the cross. One day closer knowing that he was coming closer to the day that he would die. Um, he was betrayed by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. He was beaten, he was whipped and falsely accused. Um, and then it was on a cross that the Son of God so lovingly died. But that was not the end. Um, three days later, he rose again, and Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And the gospel is, is that Jesus came and died for our sins so that we may be reconciled and reunited with God, a heavenly, loving, good father. So that's Jesus in a nutshell. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in some more. Uh, King Jesus, we love you so, so much. Lord, I pray that um, you would continue to invade this room. Lord, invade the rooms of our hearts. Um, we need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. Give me the words to say. Um, and we just bless you, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So this past weekend, a whole bunch of my family came into town. Um, and it's because my birthday's in a few weeks, holla. And then also my nephew's birthday is in like two days. 
So everybody came in town to celebrate my nephew Matthew's birthday and my own. And it was super fun. We went to the children's museum. We like walked around. We like talked with, I tried like continued to try to understand my niece Amy. She's three and a half years old and her vocabulary is so good. And it's super fun like seeing how she's grown um, and communicating. Um, and Matthew is very active. So like I said, he's about one years old and he is not walking yet, but that man can crawl and he can crawl fast. And my house is not baby proof. I have a TV that's about a foot and a half off the ground. And I tell you what, he must love screens because he was like, like flash, like lightning, like running over to the TV. He'd be sitting there all chill, like sucking on something and just chilling. And then like we're all in conversation, like, ah, the children are occupied. And then all of a sudden they're like lunging for the TV and I'm like, I do not want those grimy fingers on my TV. <laughs> and so it made me think like, there were six adults and two kids. So the ratio is three to one. Like we should have it covered. But for some reason he could still get his grimy little fingers, cute chubby fingers on that TV, despite all of the, um, all of the chaperones, all of us for watching. And then every time it baffles me when I'm with my niece and nephew, like my, my sister is a stay at home mom and her odds are two kids to one adult. And I'm like, how does she do it? Literally, I thought that we were covered with six adults and two kids. And I'm like, somebody needs to help her. I mean, Jack comes home at night, but literally she's got like a good like eight to 10 hours, just her and the kids. And like, she can't do it on your, her own. And so tonight we're gonna talk about how, uh, like parenting, parenting's a mission. We're gonna learn about how uh, in the mission God calls us to, we don't have to do it alone. So, did you like that? That was good, right? Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, all right, so if you want to open your Bibles, um, actually, if you don't want to, open your Bibles. <laughs> so I command you. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, open your Bibles. We will be reading out of Acts 1. Um, so if you're trying to find it, open your Bible in half, and then open it in half again towards the back of the book, and it should be around there. And we're picking up where Jesus had just risen from the dead, and he's speaking with his disciples and some of his followers right outside of the city of Bethany. Look up when you're ready. I see those eyes. Okay, I'm seeing lots of eyeballs. I think we're good. All right, so follow along with me in verse 3. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Come on. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Mm, come on, somebody. So once again, a little bit of context. Jesus had just resurrected from, from the grave. And he's been with them for 40 days, and he's just conversing with his disciples over a meal. And so looking at the perspective of the disciples, 
They had been traveling with Jesus for three years, listening to his teaching. They were bought into everything that Jesus had been saying. And then all of a sudden he died. He's like, our friend is dead. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? That you're, you're following somebody for, for three years, eating with them, breaking bread with them, uh, sleeping in campsites together, and then all of a sudden they're gone and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus comes back. He raises from the dead, and this is like earth shattering. It's like, dude, it's like it was before. Like, he was dead, and now he's back, and like, hallelujah, he conquered death and the grave. Like, I would be stoked if I, if I were these disciples, like, breaking bread, eating with them, like, we just ate back there. It's like, you're back. Like, praise God, you're back. They had watched him being beaten and mocked and murdered, and he is back. And it says, that, um, it says in Acts that he showed them many convincing proofs. And so I'm just going to go through a few of those proofs. There are over 500 testimonies of people seeing Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. That is a lot of proof right there. Um, He also appeared to Mary in the garden when she was at the tomb. He also walked with two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he ate with them and broke bread with them. And then finally, we all know about Thomas. Thomas was one of his disciples who um, he got a bad rap. He was, he's called Doubting Thomas, which is kind of a bummer. But um, now I feel like I can't name my kid Thomas. But, you know, we can redeem the name. Um, sorry, that was really random. But with Thomas, so Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is resurrected unless I put my, hand, my, my fingers into the holes in his hand and if I touch the hole in his side. And then Jesus pops in, and he's like, hey, Thomas. Want to feel? Like, want to feel? How am, I, how am I doing? That's some convincing proof. Jesus, whoa, there's a box drum. Resurrected from the dead. Come on, hallelujah. And then Jesus tells them to wait, which I find is super interesting because I don't like to wait. When I hear good news, I'm calling my mom, my dad, my titis, and my tios. Like, everyone's going to know. The whole family's going to hear because I don't like keeping good news to myself. When I got into Virginia Tech, I was, like, calling everybody. Posted it to the gram and the books, Facebook. Um, I don't, didn't have a MySpace. I'm not that old. But, um, yeah, like, we want to share good news, and we don't like to wait for things. Like, think about it. Our generation has cut down, like, movies to 15-second clips that we get lost in for three hours. Like, tell me how that makes any sense. We just love getting information and watching them through. Hey, how you doing? And, like, we don't like to wait. But if it's a good gift, maybe we'll wait. The good gift that Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit. And once again, that's where that second part comes in. Wait for the gift the Father has promised. And I love gifts. I love giving gifts. I love receiving gifts. Once again, it's my birthday in two weeks. Yeah, just sprinkling that out there. Show me some love. 22nd. It's in two Tuesdays. Just sprinkling that out there. I love gift giving. I love receiving gifts. And once again, like Christmas, that is a day that we all know we are waiting for some gifts. We see the tree beside us. We see all the presents, and they're right there, but we know we have to wait. 
we have to wait for a good gift. And there is a Christmas when I was about five years old, and I really wanted this present. I really wanted this toy. And you're never going to believe what toy I wanted. I wanted a McDonald's cash register. I think I have it. That's it. Like, that is the cash register I wanted. It has a credit card. Cha-ching. It's impressive. Also, the one I had had a little barcode scanner. But I wanted it so bad. I wanted the cash. I wanted the fake coins. I wanted to play pretend. I was going to be the best McDonald's cashier you've ever seen. Yeah, she would be. <laughs> and so I told my mom, like, Mom, I want this. She's like, okay. So I, Christmas Day comes. Well, actually, to be honest, Christmas Eve, because I don't know. Does your family open? Yeah. So I'm Latina, and so I don't know why, but we open our, our presents on Christmas Eve because that's what we do. And so we're opening these presents, and I'm opening one after another. I'm not seeing the yellow arches. <laughs> I'm not seeing what I want. And then I'm, like, trying to be grateful, but I'm like, oh, I wanted that. And then my, my grandparents come out with a gift. And I open it, and it wasn't. It was the McDonald's cash register. I was so excited. I was like, how did you guys know? And then my grandma was like, a little bird told me. I swear, for like 10 years after that, I thought my grandma was like Cinderella. Like singing to the birds, hearing things. I was like, yo. My grandma talks to birds, and she understands them. I think I was like 13 when I realized like my mom told her I wanted it, but that was a good gift that I wanted. Um, and so with that, we all know that the better the gift giver, the better the gift. You know what I'm saying? The better the gift giver, the better the gift. And so with that, if Jesus is saying, hey, I want to give you this gift from God the Father, I'm like, mm. The creator of the universe wants to give me a gift. I will wait. I will sit back and relax as he's about to give it. So bring it on, Jesus. I will be there. So the disciples do that. They go back to Jerusalem, which we will see later. But like I said earlier, the gift that Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to actually talk about next week. So in the same way that the disciples had to wait, when they're like, oh, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus? You're going to have to wait too. Or you can read ahead. Highly recommend both. Read ahead, then come in, get some clarity. You know what I'm saying? Some interesting stuff. So Jesus knew that they had to go back to Jerusalem to receive this gift because the mission that he was about to call them to was something too big that they couldn't do by themselves. They couldn't do it on their own. So that's why they had to wait. All right, so continuing in verse 6, that's where we're picking up. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's mm. a good word. So the disciples are hype. Once again, he just resurrected from the grave, and now 
They're saying to Jesus, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And they're talking about the kingdom of Israel like it was in the time of David or in Solomon, of riches and glory and battles won and cities conquered, where, where Israel was on top. And they're like, Jesus, you're going to put us back on top? And he's like, before I move on, they were really excited that Jesus was going to do this in their minds because at this point they were being oppressed by the Romans. Now, the Romans had been there for about 40, no, I'm pretty sure it's 60 years, for 60 years. And actually after Jesus ascended, they'll be there for another 300 years. But the Romans were heavily oppressing the Jews in that area. Like massive taxation, like super unjust, and like were super brutal. Um, in fact, they, there were multiple times where um, Jews or, or slaves in the area would try to revolt against the Romans, and every time the Romans just crushed it. Revolt after revolt, they were just crushed. And there's even a story in 4 BC, where, which is right around the time where Jesus was born, where there was a Jewish revolt against the Romans, and once again, the Romans crushed them, and then crucified 2,000 of the, the rebels. And then, like, so when the disciples were growing up, and when they saw Jesus die on this cross, they, their life had been shadowed by the cross. By, like, walking down streets and seeing just friends and family members, like, crucified. It'd be like walking around campus and then being like, oh, I know that person. Like, they were, they were under some brutal oppression, some harsh oppression. And so when the disciples are saying this, like, hey, Jesus, are you going to restore us back? They're asking, like, are you going to save us from our oppressors? Are you going to save us from the Romans? And it, I, I wonder if it was hard to hear, but Jesus didn't answer their question. But Jesus had something greater in mind. Jesus is not into politics or political rule, and so he didn't, he didn't come to free the Jews from the Romans, but he came to, to free them from a much worse oppressor, from sin and death, from the grave. Jesus came not to, to redeem the Israelites from the Romans, but to do something much greater and something much more eternal. And so he said to them, there are some things that you need to know and some things you don't, but right now this is what you need to know, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that word power that Jesus, is, Jesus used is the word dunamis, which means power, force, might, ability, and energy. The root word of dunamis actually helped create, or excuse me, dunamis was the root word that was used to create the word dynamite. And we all know that when dynamite hits something, it's not the same. We use dynamite to bring down structures, to carve roads into mountains. It literally like changes the face of the earth. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to give you power, he's saying, I'm going to give you power that's going to change environments. I'm going to give you power that changes lives. I'm going to give you power that, that changes nations and cities. So just wait. You just got to wait. And then once again... He continues and says, and you will be my witnesses. And so Jesus covers the who, the what, 
and the why. We see very clearly that he says the Holy Spirit, the who, will give you power, the what, the why, to be my witnesses, to go out boldly and share the good news of the gospel, that I'm alive and that I'm here to redeem and resurrect lives in different ways, to bring the news and the message of the kingdom. And he continues on to say, you will be my witnesses. He, he fulfills the where right now. In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The main message that Jesus spoke of in the Gospels was the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom and a rule and a reign where there was no pain, where Jesus sat on the throne, and that all things were restored back to what they would be in the garden, the garden of Eden. And he wants everybody to experience the good news. He wants to bring everybody back to the garden to experience intimacy and relationship with a good heavenly father. And not just for the Jews, but for all people. And so that all people, he specifically picked out those three cities, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Jerusalem was the place where Jesus was murdered and falsely accused and put on a cross to die. Judea was the place where, um, where it was the place of the home of the Israelites. So friends and family who rejected Jesus, who misunderstood him. Samaria is a place where the Jews and the Samarians were extreme, extremely racist towards each other and didn't like each other. And then the ends of the earth was far beyond the Israelite race into place, places where, that were unknown to people that were unreached. And so when, when Jesus said this to the disciples, in a way, I think it must have been terrifying. Like, Jesus, you want us to go back? Like, don't you? They just killed you. Do you, do you not remember that? Forty days ago, you resurrected from the grave. You were up on a cross, and you want us to go back to the people that murdered you? And Jesus, you want us to go back to that place where they, don't, they didn't get it? Like, we already tried Judea, but they didn't get it. They rejected you. And Jesus, are you kidding me? Samaria? We, all, we don't like Samarians. But Jesus is like, no. I've told you to go. He says, go back to the places I was murdered and tell them of my forgiveness. He says, go back to the places where I was misunderstood and unloved and tell them that I accept them and receive them, that I love them. He said, go back into Samaria and tear down the walls of hostility and racism and tell them that they can be rescued and that I desire them to be adopted into my family. He said, and don't stop there. Don't stop at the borders, but go into places that are dark, where you don't know the language, where you don't know anyone, places that you've never even heard of, and I want you to be light. He tells his disciples to be his witnesses so that others may hear the good news that they're not alone, that they're dearly loved, and that there's a purpose because he wants all to have a chance to enter into his kingdom. So here's the question for us. What's our Jerusalem? Where are the places that Jesus is asking us to crucify our reputation? Is it here on the JMU campus? What's our Judea, the places that were misunderstood and mocked? Is it back home with our families or our friend group? What's our Samaria? 
Where is God calling out your prejudice? Is there a people group, a gender, uh, a certain personality type that you have uh, stereotyped that the Lord is asking you to see them through his lens? Or even the student next to you in your class that you're like, oh God, they're too far gone. It's like, you don't, it's like, no, he wants that person. He wants that classmate. And then what's your ends of the earth? Where is God calling you out of your comfort zone to surrender your American dream and to pursue a kingdom dream? A theologian once said that missions exist because there are places in the world where worship doesn't. I'm going to read that again. And also, I think it's behind me. But missions exist because there are places in the world where worship doesn't. There are so many unreached people groups that do not know that there is a king to be worshipped. They do not know that there's hope. They do not know that it is not by their works that they're saved. They do not know that there's not an amount of prayer that they can pray. There's not a, a place of nirvana that they have to reach. There's not this enlightenment that they have to achieve. But no, they truly just have to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why he commissioned his disciples to be his witnesses. And that's why he commissions us to be his witnesses. When the disciples first asked Jesus about restoring Israel, they meant an earthly kingdom. But once again, Jesus had much bigger plans. The disciples were asking him to build a kingdom out of force and rule because that's all they had known. That's all that they had seen. But Jesus builds his kingdom with love, truth, humility, and sacrifice. So how do we accomplish such a goal? That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's why you guys got to come back next week. There is a missionary named Jim Elliott who went to Ecuador to minister to some violent tribes that were there. Uh, he brought his family and four other families with him, and they made contact with this people group. Um, they landed a little old rickety plane on this beach, and they exchanged, like, some like supplies and they talked and then one day they very excitedly went down to the beach because things had been going well and they were met by a bunch of angry tribesmen with spears. Jim Elliott was 28 years old when he was martyred and some of you would ask what kind of kingdom would allow such a thing for a young man to leave his family his wife and two kids behind like, what type of kingdom would ask um, us to, to send our loved ones to places that we don't know about, to people that, that are strangers, and, like, do they even deserve the gospel? They're too out of reach. They're too out of touch. What kind of kingdom would send people we love to these dark places? And I'll respond with a quote from Jim Elliott that he wrote months before he died. He said, no, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And I'll read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, what, to gain that which he cannot lose. And the meaning of that quote is death is the end for all of us. It's not something that we can escape. But in Jesus, we're a part of something that's everlasting, that not even death can take away from us and not even death could take it away from him. 
And the story didn't end with him losing his life, but actually his wife Elizabeth goes back to the tribe with her two kids, and the whole tribe comes to know Jesus. Through Jim Elliott's sacrifice and her humility and willingness to go back and forgive, a whole tribe, a whole people group came to know the goodness of God and his salvation. And in a way, the, Jesus asks his disciples to do the same thing, right? He says, go back to the places where you're not wanted and tell them I want them. A kingdom built on sacrifice makes sense because we have nothing to lose and everything to gain because of Jesus. True life is found in him and eternal life is found in him. But for those who don't know Jesus, they have everything to lose and they have absolutely nothing to gain. So as we transition into um, concluding, so if you'd like to come on up, Julia. Um, there are some of you in this room who are not Jesus' disciples. And when I say that, you're not followers of Jesus. You haven't com committed yourself in a relationship with him. You haven't surrendered control of your life to him. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus desires relationship with you. That even in everything that's happened this past week, it's really easy to see things as hopeless and that there's nothing we can do. But there is something that we can do and we do have hope. And it's a hope that's an anchor for our souls and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that gives us hope when things are rocky. Jesus is the one that gives us salvation when, when we feel like we can't do it. He is our rescuer. And also he invites you into a bigger plan, a bigger plan than what you could ever expect for yourself. And then there are some of you in this room who know Jesus, but there are things that are holding you back from being his witnesses. It's amazing that in the United States, we have the freedom of speech, so we can share our thoughts and opinions, um, but still there are other things that hold us back. Um, and it can be scary. Sometimes it means giving up a dream job. Sometimes it means um, not living the American dream and living in comfort. Sometimes it means that we're just not liked. And so I, so? Like, yes, but Jesus may ask you to lay down your dreams and he may ask you to be disliked. He wasn't liked. He, he died on a cross. I think we'll make it out with our lives. And I respond with, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? And then I also say what an honor it would be to lose it all to see somebody come to know Jesus, to come to know hope, to, co to come into eternity, into a family that goes deeper than blood and, and, and the roots, but goes into the roots of the kingdom of God. And also sometimes God asks us to lay down our dreams so our hands are empty so that we can pick up his dreams. And also sometimes the Lord asks us to lay down our dreams so he can bless them and then we can pick them back up. Jesus has such great dreams for us, even better than what we could think of or expect or imagine. 
And there is one thing that he asks of us, that we would trust in him and that we would leave behind everything that we've held so tightly onto and that we would join the mission. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can bring the kingdom of God to the four corners of the earth so that others may have the opportunity to know about this king that we worship named Jesus Christ. And as we go through this series of Holy Spirit's acts, we will see how people leave everything behind because they caught the vision of a a greater kingdom, because they caught the vision of world domination for the sake of Jesus Christ, instead of building a whole bunch of little sandcastles that will wash away when, when we die, we get to be a part of something that's an everlasting kingdom. And also we know that uh, the disciples don't go alone and we're not going to go alone because Jesus equips them with the Holy Spirit. And so we will see for ourselves that the mission is still the same. To go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation and to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if you guys would all stand tonight, we are going to respond Um, Feel free to move, um, get out of your seat. For those of you who do not know Jesus and you would like to ask Jesus into your heart tonight, go to your core group leader. If you have questions, go to your core group leader. I'm sure that they'll be more than happy to walk you into the, the brotherhood and the sisterhood of Christ. And then for others of you, just meditate on these questions and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything that I'm withholding? Is there anything that's keeping me back from from sharing your good news with others? Um, and then I will, I will come back and wrap this up. So as the worship team leads. <laughs>